Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Full Time Whistle podcast. Thanks very much for the support on the first two episodes, which have gone down pretty well. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Hearts Scottish Cup winning hero, Danny Granger. Danny chats about his early career at Gretna, as well as sharing some cracking stories from that famous day at Hamden. He also talks about falling out of love with the game before getting into management. Anyway, let's get stuck in and hear from Danny himself. I really hope you enjoy. So, Danny, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Um, how have you been keeping during lockdown? Uh, very busy. I've got uh, two young kids. One's football mad, one's gymnastics mad. So, yeah, I've been keeping busy there, keeping my football skills intact and also obviously learning some new gymnastic skills there as well, as well as trying to do a little bit of homeschooling. So, yeah, I've been kept very busy um, as well as obviously I've got my own academy facility that I've got to look after as well. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a busy few weeks for us. You have you yeah. been affected massively uh, by this as the, you know, you're the manager of Workington Reds. Uh, your side were, of course, top of your league and the, the FA have uh, decided to sort of null and void it. What, what are your thoughts on that? It was disappointing. But obviously, the first thing that we said was that we were very disappointed with the, how quick the decision was made. Um, again, we, we understood that the league needed to be postponed at that time due to obviously everything that was going on. We were completely behind that decision. Um, the, but we just couldn't understand why we had to uh, make the decision to null and void and expunge all our results and just forget about our league season so quickly. So that was the biggest disappointment for us and we had to make sure that obviously that um, the lads um, knew that we were behind them and trying to get, obviously um, look at the financial, the legal side and see if there was any way we could sort of appeal. But um, unfortunately, we've, it's fallen on deaf ears and we've just got to dust ourselves down and be ready for next season now. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the club have been very good due, uh, throughout lockdown, set up the Stay Home Record initiative. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we've had a, go, uh, a GoFundMe page. Um, our fans and things like that have jumped on board with that. Um, but we're currently in the process of, um, like you say, doing a, a Stay Home campaign that we're reenacting one of our biggest games in the club's history against Manchester United, the FA Cup third round in 1958, just a few weeks um prior to obviously the Munich disaster and um, yeah we're, we're looking forward to trying to obviously beat the crowd that we had that day which was 21,500 I think it's a big ask but it's a great chance for us to sort of put a, a big thing together for the club and it's been great we've had a lot of the, the Man United side that have jumped on board as well from from them so obviously the, that should be a, a fantastic um, project that we've put together that, that should be good for everybody and anybody tuning in that day Hopefully that can be achieved. I'll, I'll leave a wee uh, link, obviously, when I, when I post this. Um, but for now, uh, I'll just take you back to your early footballer memories um, as we get stuck into your career. So uh, did you go to watch football as a kid? How, how did you get into it? Yeah, I did. I was, um, when I was younger, um, my, my dad was very um, keen on football and obviously kicking about in the back garden and things like that with him was uh, my first memories. And um, where, where I grew up, there was sort of a, a young a young group of about 14, 15 kids that um, just wanted to mess around with each other. And again, it was great because there were a lot of lads that wanted to play football. So that was um, another reason that obviously I got so keen into football. Um, and, and the first memories are going to watch Carlisle United um, as a kid on the terraces. So yeah, I was I was sort of jumped into football from an early age, sort of from four or five year old. I was up to the local grassroots teams, training with them as 
Um, and then obviously kicking about with friends and, and obviously my parent as well. So uh, the first sort of professional club that you, you went to was Gretna. They were in the, the third division at the time in Scotland. How did all that come about? Because you're obviously, it's not, it's not too far from you, but you're, you're obviously going to, basically to Scotland to play in Scotland. How did all that come about? Yeah, so I was, I was with Carlisle United as a youngster um, from sort of under 12 through to under 14 and I, and I got released then and I went back to playing local grassroots football and mm-hmm. um, at that point I was um, I was training with Queen of the South when I was under 16 after a couple of years and uh, they were um, they were offering me C forms back then which was a part-time um, under 18 uh, opportunity so I was looking into that avenue and then Someone who used to come and coach in the schools, in the primary schools, actually phoned me up and uh, asked if I'd like to come down for a trial. Gretna were going to look at putting a scholarship team, uh, a scholarship plan together for people doing college course as well as playing fo- football as well. So I, I went along um, and then after the game, I was pulled in by Rowan Alexander and Derek Fry at the time and they just offered me a, a two-year scholarship there and then. So, um, no, I, it was something I was very keen to do. Um, I was leaving school at the time, and it was. I grew up on a farm, and it was either going to be part-time football with working on, probably on the on the family farm, or going into full-time football with Gretna. So I thought I'll give full-time a go and, and see where it takes me. And, and thankfully, I jumped on the the boat at the right time, and obviously um, we we started to rise through the leagues, and, and it was great to be a part of. Yeah, you you mentioned there Gretna were certainly on the up um, back back to back promotions for several years. Um, you made your debut. Away to Albion Rovers in a two-one defeat. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, it was. Um, it's something I'll never forget. Obviously, as a footballer, you you're dreaming of these pitches that are like carpets and things like that. And who knows? Uh, Cliftonville will, will know that it's not that at uh, at the best of times. So yeah, um, I remember it. I was um, I played against Kevin McAllister. It was a real tough day for me. A very experienced player that that gave me a, a bit of a torrid time. But it, it's again, I can. Everything about the day, I can still remember the the, the, the walk up the stairs to the, to the pitch, the dressing room. Um, so again, it, it was a special time for me to make my professional debut. Um, and again, I was lucky enough to do it with a, with a dressing room full of experience that helped me through it. Just just on growing up as well, um, were, you, were you always a left back? I wasn't. No, I was. Always, to be honest with you, I was a left winger and a striker. Um, I very rarely played in defence when I was a, when I was a youngster. Um, I moved back to centre midfield when I was sort of under 15, 16 and, and for some reason I just found myself playing at left back and uh, when I moved to when I moved to Gretna and from then I just went right the way through and it never changed really so um, again I think positions change and I think slight position change on the pitch can have a massive difference I think when you can see the full game from defence it's a lot easier and um, that's obviously where I found it um, most comfortable and, and I've done the best part of my career there as well. Yeah, you played your part obviously in, in getting Gretna up through the leagues. Um, you got given your your chance of really a full season in 06-07. but the season before that, uh, Gretna got to the Scottish Cup final, but you'd been loaned out to Brecon. Were you sort sort of gutted to miss that one? I was, yeah, because I'd been involved in the cup ties in the early rounds before I'd gone out on loan, and um, I was always used as a substitution and, and things like that as through the through that year if there was ever uh, an injury and things like that I was always just on the brink uh, and this, and just at Christmas time uh, Ron Alexander just said look I want you to go up to Brecon the division above us but I want you to go up there and get six months of 
experience and play there and, and know what that league is about because you're going to have a big, big impact next year. So um, I went up to Breakin, absolutely loved my time at Breakin with a, with a dressing room full of great people and people like Jerry Britton, Scott Walker, Craig McEwens, probably a lot of people that I've forgotten off that list as well. So um, people that I still speak to now as well. So um, it was great for me and I really enjoyed it. But then to come back, obviously, and it was just the day prior to us leaving for the cup final that we found out because I was um, unavailable for the semi-final, I actually wasn't allowed to be on the bench for the finals. So um, it was absolutely good to find, find out very last minute that you're not going to be involved in a cup final uh, for a club like that. Um, but it was really hard to take and I found a real disappointment in it and, and, it, and it set me back a little bit. Do you, do you remember the game? Did, did you, you obviously, I, I imagine you were there. Yeah, I was. I was there and... Um, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a blur. Obviously, it was my first cup final and things like that. And to be able to just sitting in the stand and taking all the um, the colours and everything in, it was it was amazing. Obviously, we all know that the support that Hearts obviously you always get in cup finals and things like that. But obviously, for a club like Gretna to take Hearts to, to the penalty shootout, it was it was a big one. Um, I think obviously Robbie Nielsen makes a tackle that probably keeps Hearts in the game as well. So. No, it was um, it was a special day for everyone at the club, and I think obviously just falling short, um, it was really disappointing. But it spurred us on to obviously go on and have a have a fantastic couple of seasons ahead of us. The, well, the following season, uh, you you were a, a big part in winning the first division, um, making over thirty appearances that year. You must you must have been delighted with that. I was, yeah, and I think obviously looking at the the loan move to uh, to Brecon. It paid off, and and that's what Ron Alexander wanted. He wanted me to go and get experience of the the league above, and and it worked for me. I came back in pre-season knowing that I would get an opportunity, and um, I was lucky that I was um, I played some of the season at centre half, and I played some of the season at left back, and I was I was paired with um, people like Christian Ears, Martin Cannon, um, Gavin Skelton, Jamie McCulloch, and these types of people that um, were vital to my development. And, uh, when you've got people like that and Alan Main behind you talking to you all the time, it was, it was amazing. So, um, to be able to have that type of experience around you as a youngster, uh, 17, 18 year old, I think I was, um, and, and it helped me push through and have a good season. And again, like I say there, it was a season that I'll never forget right away through my career, obviously ending with that last minute, last second of the game to, to Nick, Get Nick the win and get us the league title as well. So uh, you played the the first half of the SPL season with Gretna before moving on to Dundee United. Uh, but I just want to touch on Gretna, obviously. Um, well, where they are now and, and and what happened. How how does that make you feel seeing the club where they are just now? I think I've always said I think the SPL was always one step too far, and I've always said it. Yes, it's a dream, and I'm lucky that. Um, we got to the SPL because it gave me my opportunity to move on and, and have the career that I had when I was with big clubs like Dundee United and Hearts um, and Dunfermline, St Johnson's teams like that. So, um, again, I can't praise Gretna enough for getting to the SPL, but I think it was just one step too far. I think, obviously, when you're playing your home games 180 miles up the road and uh, you're only getting three, 400 of your own fans to games, uh, it, it becomes a real tough ask to be successful with that. Um, I think obviously the financial side of it is always going to be tough um, and, and it unfortunately took its toll um, on the club and on Brooks as well. So you then moved to Dundee United, you mentioned there in the, in the January. How did, that, how did all that come about? To be honest with you, it happened very quickly. Uh, my agent phoned me 
Um, it was just after uh, we'd been playing Kilmarnock and um, he phoned me and he just said, look, Dundee United are interested. They're going to put a bid in. Can you speak to Brooks Marlson? I had a really close relationship with Brooks uh, and ask him how much he wants for you. Dundee United are going to buy you. Um, I spoke to Brooks that day and he said he wasn't going to step him, stand him away. All he wanted was the development fee that they were they were due for having me and bringing me through. So I can't remember what the number was, but my agent sort of spoke to Brooks. That was a, the number. I went back to Dundee United and within two or three days it was done and I was up there and I was I was signing. And um, again, the first time I walked through the doors at Dundee United was unbelievable to, to walk into a club like that. It was, it was a dream come true because you go from... Little Gretna to Dundee United, it's, it's a big jump, and um, mm-hmm. obviously it was, a, it was a massive honour to play for for the club and play for people like Craig Levine and Peter Houston. Yeah, you mentioned some big names there. Um, there was obviously a, a really good squad there at the time as well. Were you maybe frustrated with your your game time at Tannadice? Yeah, I think obviously where the, the first uh, the, the, my first six months there, I was in and out the team um, when when I was signed. Obviously, I played for uh, Gretna in the uh, cup and Dundee United was still going well in the cup and they actually I think I'm pretty sure they went to the CIS Cup final that year and um, unfortunately obviously with being cup tied it meant that uh, Christian was going to play all the cup games so we were running out all the time and I couldn't seem to get a real run of form going um, again I, I love my time at Dundee United absolutely loved it second season I was suspended for the first couple of games of the season and um, I ended up falling out the team Paul Dixon came in done well and obviously I was frustrated as a player as you always are when you're not playing and I think obviously when I look back now as a manager Craig Levine made the right decision the lad that was playing really well kept his shirt and yes it's frustrating but unfortunately you've just got to bide your time and I was in and out again but never really got a real run of it and um, obviously the, the following summer is when I moved down to St Johnson but um, I still speak with Craig um, now and like I've always said to him there yes it was frustrating but it gave me a, a chance to go and play for an amazing club like Dundee United So um, after a, a year and a half at Dundee United there you moved to newly promoted St Johnston under Derek McInnes how, how did that materialise then? Again it was um, it happened quite quickly we lived um, 20 miles south of um, Dundee and 20 miles north of Perth so it was an ideal one, really, for me, and it, and it came around quite quickly. It was towards pre-season, and um, Craig just pulled me in. He just said, look, St. Johnson's have been in touch, and they're interested in signing you. Um, Dick, Paul Dixon's done really well, so your game time will be limited here. Um, shook Craig's hand, and that was it, really, and it, and it was done as quickly as that, and um, I couldn't wait to get started. Um, I, I knew Doc, and um, I knew a couple of St. Johnson players at the time, and as soon as I moved down there and got involved with it, it was it was brilliant for me. And I've always said Derek McInnes is one of the best managers I've worked under. His man management skills, the way he prepared his teams, everything. And it didn't surprise me that he's gone on and had the managerial career that he's had because he was he was really um, good at everything that you wanted him to be good at. The preparation was good. You had enough information, but not too much. Uh, and again, I think it was his man management skills were great, and you, you couldn't wait to play every match for him. So, um, St Johnston were obviously newly promoted, as I mentioned there. Um, but first season, eighth place, and you got to a League Cup semi-final. Yeah, again, it's, it's St Johnston are a, are a team that I look at now, and I think they're, they're very rarely I would ever look at them and say they're in danger of um, 
dropping out of the SPL. I think they can have a bad run of form at times, but I never really think they're in danger of dropping out. Um, and I think, unfortunately, they just maybe haven't quite got the resources to push on and be into that. Um, then them European places on a consistent basis. Um, but again, I think it was a it was a good season for us, an eighth place and a and a, a semi final. Um, it was a good bunch of lads uh, that were that worked hard for each other and, and enjoyed working together. Um, I think that's something that I would always say there was never a it was never a chore to go into training. Everyone loved going into training and everyone loved going to matches and, and playing for playing for the management as well. So the following season, um, there was another semi-final, this time in the Scottish Cup, and again you came eighth. So uh, just just sort of building on building on the season before. Yeah, I think obviously the when you go into the SPL season, you're always looking at it and you're always thinking that if you can get to a, a Scottish Cup final or a, or a League Cup final, you've got a good chance of silverware. So that's something obviously that you're always targeting. You're trying to get as, as close to them finals as possible because on Cup final day, you never know what can happen. So... Um, I think for us to get to two semi-finals showed that uh, we were making progress, and I think obviously in the, the following few years ended up going on and winning it. So for me, it was it, it was two years, two full seasons that I absolutely loved. And I think, um, as I've said previously, if I knew that Derek McInnes was going to stay there and be there for long term, I'd have probably signed another contract at St Johnson because um, I really did enjoy it. But mm-hmm. envisage him being there very long for the record that he had and. Lo and behold, um, someone came and snapped him up. So, in hindsight, obviously, it was a great, a great timing for me to get out of the club as well. Um, but I think the hardest thing for me is when I was leaving St. Johnson is that um, it got leaked out through the press that I was signing for Carlisle and uh, there was talks. But obviously, to then go and sign for Hearts, it looked like I'd just been sort of trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, which never was the case. Yeah, so... Uh... You mentioned there going to Hearts. That was this the summer of 2011. How did that all materialise? To be honest with you, I'd been speaking to to Carl on and off for uh, a couple of weeks after the end of the season, um, and my my wife was pregnant with my son, and it was whether or not we were going to set up roots and go home, or whether we were going to stay up in Scotland. And then obviously we were speaking to Carlisle, we were speaking to another, a couple of other teams that were closer to home, and then all of a sudden Hearts came and knocked on. When a club like Hearts offers you something, you can't say no. Um, I went and spoke to Billy Brown and Jim Jeffries, and as soon as I spoke to them and had a look around Tynecastle and, and the training facility, it was a no-brainer for me. And um, it wasn't even a, a question of thinking about it; it was just a question of when can I sign. So um, again, all these moves sort of came came around quite quickly, and and I was delighted to sign for a club like Hearts, and, it, and it's one of probably the proudest moments of my career. So um, Hearts were in the Europa League when you joined. Um, you saw off FC Paxi, um, but then had to play Tottenham, and ultimately, well, I think it was five 0 in aggregate. Um, but well, what was it like playing Europa League football? Yeah, I think obviously um, everyone goes on about European nights and how different it is underneath the lights and things like that, and it is so different. Um, the atmosphere, the, the enthusiasm, everything is just amazing. And I think obviously. Hard for us, um, obviously that year was. I think Tottenham were meant to actually play on the Monday night against um, Everton. I'm pretty sure it was Everton, and then uh, us on the Thursday. One of the Manchester clubs, us again, and then the other Manchester club. So we kind of thought we've got a little bit of a sneaky chance here because I don't think they're going to play the, the big boys. And that was the year that the London riots were on, uh, and the, the Tottenham game actually got called off first game of the season. 
and it ended up where we were their first competitive game of the season. So they brought every big boy up with them and uh, gave us a bit of a lesson that night because they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think, if I can remember rightly, um, the midfield three of Cranchard, Van der Vaart and Modric absolutely ran the show. And um, it was, yeah, it was. And you've got Bale on one side, Lennon on the other, Defoe through the middle. It was an unbelievable force to come up against and, you really appreciate why they're at the top level as well. So, yeah, we got a bit of a lesson then. And then, obviously, at 5-0, you go down to, to Tottenham and they rest a few and you, and you get a 0-0 draw at White Hart Lane. And, again, it was a it was another special night because you get to play at one of the biggest clubs at, in the country. Well, what's, it, what's it like playing against these players? Because, obviously, you'd only been used to SBL sort of standard and now you're up against guys like Bale, Modric. Yeah, I think, obviously, when you see them in the... Um, in full flow you realise why they are the top end of the, the game I think obviously you really appreciate what they are they do everything uh, so well and make everything look so simple and um, they do the simple things well every time and I think obviously uh, when you come up against them you really appreciate what they're about um, the, the, spe- the speed the power the physique even when you look at these players some of them you look on uh, TV and you think, oh, he looks quite small, but when you come up against them, absolute giants as well. So, uh, no, it, it, it's very, um, it, it was a privilege to play against them. I've always said that I think Jermaine Defoe has some of the best movement I've well, he has got the best movement I've ever played against. He was, he was a real thorn in our sides that night and he was a, he was a, he was a pleasure to watch and, and come up against. So, uh, Hearts came fifth in the league that season. Um, but it was it was obviously a memorable season for the Jambos, and that famous five-one Scottish Cup final victory over Hibs. Um, what 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 were your memories from that day? It's, near, it's nearly eight years ago to the day now. Yeah, I think obviously um, I can remember going to training on the Saturday, and we were training at Rickerton, and uh, before we went away down to Glasgow, and um, I can remember walking into the kit man's room, and he's got the Hibs v Aberdeen game on, and he he was just strolling up and down the, the corridor up, up and down the kit room saying oh Hibs can't win this Hibs can't win this please don't let them win this and I was like yeah you want the Hibs and Hearts final surely he went no you can't they, they were just so couldn't believe how much that they didn't want it as much as some of the players wanted it and it wasn't just the kit man there was um, coaches some of the coaching staff some of the players obviously that had big Hearts connections mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand for the life of me why they didn't want this big game and then obviously we go and play our game. We get through. Hibs get through. We go and play our game. Beat Celtic, and then all of a sudden you realise that oh my, yeah, if you win this, it's fine. You're going to be legends in Hearts. But he says if you lose it, you'll never ever be allowed in this club again. <laughs> so it was literally, and I always thought it was like it was kind of a a joke, but it wasn't. I genuinely think that if you'd have lost that final, you'd have been really looked down and the Hearts fans couldn't accept you as a as a Hearts player as much if you if you let their local rival beat you in the biggest game in the club's histories. So, um, obviously, to go out there and then, obviously, absolutely um, demolish them. Um, it, it, was a, it was a real pleasure and I think, obviously, now when you look back and things like that, you realise how lucky you were to play in a game like that. I've, during this lockdown I've actually sat and watched the, the cup final with my son uh, and you realise what an atmosphere it was that day and I don't think you really appreciate it until now and 
even now I can remember going back to um, Tyne Castle and coming down Gorgie Road and the sunroof was open on the bus somehow and there was a couple of us out on the sitting on the roof as it coming down Gorgie and you see all the fans going crazy and pulling into Tyne Castle and having the party with your family and your friends in there and then obviously the bus parade on a Sunday was absolutely mind-blowing see the streets lined for as long as there were and as many people as there were. Memories like that that, yeah, in football you'll remember the, the time you scored great goals and things like that but I remember pulling along Gorgia Road and seeing all them fans walking behind us and then all the fans lined in the streets, people up on top of bus shelters, on top of houses, just so yeah. they could see the team coming past. It's, they're the memories that you, you'll, never, you'll never lose. Um, and then on the Sunday, Gary Lock actually asked me and Ryan McGowan, if we wanted to go to a a local party, he said it was just going to be a little quiet one, but there's a few Hearts fans there. So we were, me and Ryan McGowan, like, yeah, yeah, let's go there. Where Woodburn Club, it was called. And we were like, yeah, let's go there for a few hours. I'll have a few drinks with the fans and then we'll go into town and have a party. Well, we walked through this door and we've got 400 Hearts fans all there. <laughs> and next thing you know, just drink everywhere. Me and Ryan McGowan are crowd surfing across to the bar and, Again, just amazing to be able to to celebrate it like that with everybody and see how much it meant to them. And then when you sit down and actually think about it, you realise, yeah, do you know what? I can see why some of the Hearts fans inside the club didn't want it to be Hearts and Hibs because it would, how much it meant to them for us to win, it would have absolutely destroyed them if we'd have lost. Especially with um, Hibs hadn't won the, the Scottish Cup famously well, since 1902, so that would have been 110 years. And to do it against the rivals as well, would that have made it? Did, did that did that make you more sort of nervous, or did that make you confident going into it, knowing that notoriously Hibs aren't great in finals? To be honest with you, it, I wasn't nervous. I, I remember waking up on cup final morning, and Craig Beat was sat in his bathrobe with his feet crossed on his on top of the table, telling me to make him a cup of tea. <laughs> and for some reason, I just sat there and I thought, you know what, that's just relaxed me completely, and. The first time I got any little nerves is when I was we were pulling down to the stadium and just before you get to the dressing rooms at Hamden, you go underground. And I can remember all the people that were there. I can just remember as we were just about to drop down underneath, I'd just seen my family. And I just seen them standing there. My family and friends, it was a big, massive group of them, but I, could, I can remember exactly where they were stood now. And um, that was the first time I got a little bit nervous. But even then, when I got into the dressing room and the music started, I walked out into the pitch and things like that. I never really felt nervous um, because I think I'd missed the Gretna and Hearts final. I'd missed one we've done the United and I just thought, you know what, this is a time to enjoy it. I've had plenty of heartache when it comes to cup finals. This is a time to sort of uh, enjoy it. And I, and I did, I absolutely, obviously, the build-up. And I can remember Blackie, just about five minutes before we were about to go out, him just running through the doors at Hamden straight into the toilet and throwing up he was so nervous but well, again he was a big big hearts man mm-hmm. and he knew how much it meant to them um, and I think obviously when you've got people like Andy Webster Rudy Scatchell Stephen Elliott the, uh, the experience the real experience Darren Barr as well um, you've got that real core that you know yeah, they'll, they'll be able to settle you down if things ever did slightly go off, off course so at the time it's it's two one. Um, and Kujabi's just been sent off, and then obviously the the, the penalties awarded. 
were, were you always going to take it? Or because you hadn't, you hadn't previously scored for the club? I hadn't, no. And I, I can remember now we were sitting in the um, breakfast meeting in the morning and we've gone over a few plans with Paolo and um, just as he was finishing, he just walked past me, tapped me on the shoulder, um, just in front of everybody. He said, Danny, you'll take penalties today if we get a penalty. Well, um, and I was like, oh, wow. Um, but the previous night, I'd actually had a conversation with my dad. Um, and my dad actually said to me, he says, right, if it goes to a penalty shootout, he says, tell me where you're going to put your penalty. Um, and I just said, why? He said, tell me where you're going to put your penalty now. Then if it goes to a penalty shootout, when you go there and it's saved, you'll, live, you'll be fine, you'll get over it. So if you change your mind and the keeper saves it, you'll never forgive yourself because you've always thought, I should have gone the way I said. So I just said to him, I said, I'm not going to put much pace in it. All I'm going to do is try and lift it top half of the goal and go to the goalkeeper's right. He said, right, no matter what happens, go there. No matter what happens. So that was that the previous night. And then obviously Paolo says that at breakfast, the whistle gets blown and I'm standing there thinking, right, just put it there. Don't even think about going anywhere else. And obviously I think a short run up and the way I strike a ball, I think obviously... Um, the goalkeeper is expecting me to sort of try and reverse it. So as soon as I seen him going down that way, it was it was nice to be able to sort of run off and uh, enjoy the enjoy the moment. Amazing, amazing. Um, so you you opened your second year with the club um, again in the Europa League, this time against Liverpool. Uh, what was it? What was it like to play against those stars? Yeah, incredible again. And obviously, your your Firmino's, your um, Suarez, Sterling's. Uh, Gerard Henderson's these type of people were all absolutely unbelievable again um, and I think obviously uh, we got beat 1-0 at home and we went down there and obviously had a game plan to sort of sit in behind the ball and hopefully nick something and we got obviously quite a late goal and then, uh, Suarez decides to ruin all of our parties and uh, gets the last kick of the game and, and, and scores the winner but no again I mean the European nights under the under the lights is what everyone talks about and I've been privileged and lucky enough to be able to say I played under the lights in a European game against Liverpool which um, not many people can say uh, obviously it's an honour and I feel like I'm blessed to be able to say that so um, it was the atmosphere um, not only the atmosphere at Anfield uh, the atmosphere at home was absolutely electric and mm-hmm. um, obviously memories, memories that you, you you never forget the, the sounds the smells the the noise, everything like that, it was just incredible. And I think, obviously, to then come up against clubs like Liverpool, it was it just makes it even more special. When that Templeton goal goes in, obviously, Reynos spills it. Are you thinking, uh, well, we could do this here? You are. I think, obviously, again, when you've got um, the experience we had in the dressing room, uh, the first thing Webby was doing was trying to calm us all down. And I was trying to get, obviously, calmed down just to make sure that we settled down. And um, obviously, as a Anybody involved in football always talks about the five-minute periods, uh, five minutes before the end of the game, five minutes after a goal is critical. And obviously, unfortunately, um, we, we didn't see them out. Um, and, and that's sort of obviously what ended up killing us towards the, the, well, in the tie. But as soon as that goal goes in and he spills it, I think, if I remember rightly, Liverpool had missed a good three or four good opportunities. And you, even then, you start to think, this could be our night. This could be our night. Um so again, it was um, it was one of them ones you're thinking, yeah, we could cause an upset here. Um, but I think obviously the the performance and obviously seeing the behind the goal and seeing all the fans there, it was um, yeah, it was something special. It was something that I'll never ever forget. 
Yeah, ended up not not quite a, a good season for both the club and yourself personally. Um, I think I think you you struggled with injury, if I'm right in saying. Yeah, unfortunately, I went up for a header um, at Fir Park against Motherwell, um, and I landed awkwardly and I done my ACL, so I was out for nine months. Um, just a simple awkward landed, and before you know it, yeah, you've uh, you, you've. You, seen a year of your career just washed away as simple as that so mm-hmm. yeah it was disappointing and obviously everything that was going on with the club at the time um, Lockie was really keen to keep me um, for the following season but all the financial restraints and things like that he couldn't do it um, and so again I played the hearts obviously I was out of contract but they still stuck by me in regards to getting my treatment for my injury and I was in, in through the summer with the physios and the sports scientists trying to get me fit for wherever I was going to go um, so again um, it was it was something that they could have quite easily gone through the financial restraints and said oh we can't deal with you now they, they stuck mm. by me and, uh, and they got me back fit and, and sent me on my way um, obviously I was, I was disappointed because I never wanted to leave Hearts and I was looking forward to obviously spending a good few years there but unfortunately it just never worked out It was um, St Mirren in the League Cup final as well that year Obviously, you must have been gutted to miss out on that one, but but maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it was uh, it was a strange one, obviously, because it was another cup final that I missed, and uh, uh, yeah, obviously because of the result. But I think obviously when you look back and things like that, the the team that they had out, um, it was you, you lost a lot of big players that year. I think obviously there was a, a real disappointment that we weren't being able to sort of get another job done. I think obviously there was. Um, it was a great result for, for St Mirren, but a real disappointment for everyone at the club, including myself. You mentioned um, the, the financial restrictions and things at the club. Obviously, you've, you've got the, the mad owner, Romanov. Um, did you ever have any dealings, dealings with him? Not really. I had, I had an odd meeting where all the team were involved, but um, to be honest with you, I, I just sort of kept myself away from any sort of situation you didn't want to get involved with regards to the to the owner. I think obviously everything went through uh, Marius when we were there and things like that. It was a real disappointment the the way we were treated as a as a group of players and as a club because wages weren't coming and we still had families to feed and it, that was the hardest part. I think they found loopholes in how long they had to pay everybody and it became a bit of a bit of a sideshow for them to be honest with you and I think that was a real disappointment I think obviously when you, you do that at a club like Hearts it's you're paying people that are um, probably on more than most in the in the SPL it's hard to be able to sort of sustain it as a club Obviously after leaving Hearts you mentioned about the injury and things there as well uh, you, you had a, a, a short term deal with St Mirren six months there um, how did all that come about? It was actually I was back down at Carlisle and um, I was with my um training there um, and then Danny Lennon actually phoned me and asked me if I'd like to join him and obviously he was an old teammate of mine that I was at um, Retina with um, mm. I went up there again a club that I thought, thought was brilliantly ran behind the scenes it was amazing a, a real club on the up and moving forward the facilities they had training ground the indoor dome stadium everything like that was, was brilliant um, but unfortunately it just didn't work for me Um regards to the football side of it, I probably wasn't happy because I wasn't where I was at previously to my injury, which I never was going to be sort of that soon after a major injury. Um, I had a fallout with um, a couple of people on the staff, which never worked, for, never works out great. 
Um, and again, I think the biggest part of it was frustration that I wasn't the same player that I was when I when I when I done my knee, and, and that was the biggest frustration for me. And I found it very hard to get over the the fact that I'd gone from scoring and winning in a cup final and playing the probably the best football of my career mm-hmm. for the first three four months of the season to land awkwardly after the header that I've gone up for probably a million times in my career that I just couldn't get back to being that same player, and and that was a real frustration. And unfortunately, probably I've, I've taken it out at the, and the on the wrong time, on the wrong people, and um, yeah, it's it's one that I look back at now with real disappointment. So uh, you left there in January uh, for a brief spell at Dunfermline. I think they were in League One at the time. Uh, how did how did you find that? Yeah, it was good. It was one of them ones. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'd fallen out of love uh, with football. I had no interest in football, um, and while well, I was at St Mirren for my last month or so. Had a real um, just just not right mentally. I wasn't right with the game at the time, and mm. as I say, it was all probably down to my injury, not being that same player. So um, I'd actually spoke to a couple of friends, um, Ryan McLaughlin being one, and and the BBC, and I just said, you know what, I've had enough. I'm, I'm going to call it a day. I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to see what happens in regards to when I go back home and. Um, Brian obviously is very close with Jim Jeffries and Jim phoned me and just said that isn't happening come on and play for me at Dunfermline and obviously Jim was a manager that signed me at heart and I absolutely loved playing for him and I just said to him I said look Jim no disrespect but I'm going from an SPL club to a League One club I've I've got family to feed type thing and um, he said no we're on the way back up we'll, we'll, we'll sort it out we'll look after you we'll put you in a house and that with your family and, and that was, that's what they did and Dunfermline wow. is an amazing club um, an absolute amazing club um, and genuinely um, I can't see it being long before they're back in the SPL because that's where they deserve to be the, the fan base that they have and the, the infrastructure that they have they've got to be in an SPL club for me and, and they're doing things right um, and I can't see it being long before they're back up there and again that was six months of my career that I would honestly say was probably the most important six months of my career and the fact that it made me fall back in love with football. If someone had told me the day I walked through the door at Dunfermline that when I was 33 years old I'd have had another five or six years playing but also I was going to move on to coaching and managing I would have absolutely said not a chance because I was at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to uh, my head inside the game. Just didn't want to be involved with it at all. Um, But that six months bunch of boys there that I got on really well with uh, Ross Milne um, Andy Gagan Josh Falconham Holly Witts first decent team um, yeah. yeah good team very good team and obviously we just fell short in the playoff final unfortunately I think obviously when you're coming up against a, a strike force of Kane Hemmings and uh, Greg Stewart it was a it was a real tough test and, and two players that have gone on a great career as well 2014 then uh, the summer you, you moved back down south back to where it all began at Carlisle yeah, I think obviously the leading up to the end of the season, uh, Dunfermline and Jim Jeffries had, had offered me another contract. Uh, said they wanted me to be part of the club moving forward, and obviously helping them get back up into the league, uh, league uh, next league up. Um, but uh, I had a phone call from uh, Carlisle United. Davy Irons, my old teammate, was assistant manager at the time. He'd actually said that they'd been up watching the playoff games and, and said that they, they wanted me involved. And my wife was pregnant with our second child at the time, my daughter, and you look at it you think is it time to move home and we had a conversation and it actually was and we just said right let's go and we 
unfortunately, it was a hard one to leave Jim Jeffries and Dunfermline behind, but it was something we felt was right for us. And even right the way through to the day that I signed for Carlisle United, I had Gary Locke on the phone offering me a contract at Kilmarnock and asking me to go there and things like that. But it just felt like it was the right time to go home. And obviously, we set up roots back where we, we grew up and back where we both lived. And we just felt like this was the right time to do so. And uh, obviously, the following year was the following few years was some of the happiest of my career. Was it was it always a sort of dream to to go back and eventually play for Carlisle? You mentioned that it had fallen through a few times. You'd been training with the club, but you'd ended up always going elsewhere. Was it finally good to sort of play for your boyhood club? Yeah, I think it was something I always said I would do, and. Um, I'll never forget the first interview I said that this will be the last club I ever play for and um, that was all I, that's all I wanted to do was play for Carlisle United but right the way through um, at some point I always had Carlisle United on my radar of the opportunity when it was right time to come mm-hmm. um, and, and this was the time and it was perfect for me it was perfect for the club and it was, it was right for my family so we all felt that all the, the pieces fit together and it was time to, to make it happen and like I say, I was, I was delighted to be able to get it done. You spent five years at Carlisle in the end, um, ended your career in 2019, I believe. Nearly 200 games for the club. Not, not a bad goal-scoring record as well from left-back with 30-odd goals as well. Um, did you enjoy your time there overall? I loved it. I loved it. I, I've got not a bad thing to say about Carlisle. I've had some ups and I've had some downs, but you get that in every club. Um, I feel like I've probably... Uh, we've, building the goal that I still feel that we should have been promoted while I was there um, and that's something that obviously it's hard to look at sometimes and say yeah we should have been promoted but I've had some great nights I led out my hometown club at Anfield in the cup took the Liverpool to penalties and scored some fluky goals to say the least <laughs> um, some good goals um, and we've had some great games against some of our local rivals with some big crowds uh, for our level so I've absolutely loved it and, and I did love my five years there and to be able to be made captain of your hometown team, to go from standing on the terraces watching the games and then not only playing for them, captaining them for five years, it, it was it was amazing for me and it was personal. Um, it was a personal thing for me to play for Carlisle and, and have that um, connection with the club and the community as well because we've done quite a lot of community work as a club as well. Did you just feel it was time, the right time to hang the bits up? Yeah, it was it was something that right the way through my career, I always said that 32 was my target. Um, even um, people have always said to me, oh, you've done it too soon. But I always said I wanted to finish too soon rather than too late. I want to have the drive to be successful as a manager, as a coach. Um, I want to have that same bug that I had when I was a 16, 17-year-old when I first stepped through them doors at Gretna. I want to be the best I can be and get to the highest on the ladder I can get. Um, even now when you, you're watching webinars and everything, just trying to get that little 1% extra um, details and things like that. So um, that was that was something that I always said and that it was the right time for me. Um, I had a few injuries last year, niggly little injuries that I couldn't just shake off the way I've normally shake, shaken them off and frustrations began to come. And I always said I would go from starting every week to, to finishing quite sharpish because I said I would never be able to just sit and watch on a bench. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I've looked back now, it was just over a year ago since I've done it and I've not once sat in my house or on a pitch and said, did I make the right decision? So for me not to even question it, it feels like it's been the right decision as well. And obviously stepping into management 
uh, um, is, is hopefully something that I can do for a long time as well now. Were you always keen to, to get into coaching and managing then? I was. I was until I'd done my, until I'd done my knee. Um, and then, like I say, that was the last thing. Couldn't have been further from my mind. As soon as I finished football, that was going to be me done. I'd just do whatever I could just to put a roof over my family's head. Um, but it was always a passion of mine. I wanted a coach and I've set up my own academy. We've got 120 kids in my own academy now. We're trying to progress that and Whoa. we're playing professional teams and, and trying to get lads an opportunity to sign for them from under nine right the way through to under 16s. We've had about 20 odd graduates now into professional teams, which is great for me. And then obviously coaching away in the senior game as well at a semi-pro level, um, trying to learn to that side of it as well. So um, I'm in no rush to, to run up the ladder. Um, hopefully there will be opportunities moving forward the older I get and the more experience I get but at the moment I'm absolutely loving my time at work at Reds You sort of touched on it there but how are you finding it you you were obviously top of the league there um, we touched on it at the start as well but what sort of are your ambitions for the near future and then obviously going forward in management Obviously I, I would love to be able to uh, be sitting here this time next year with, with our league title which I'll call it all next year because it was our league title um, until it was taken away from us and I think obviously um, the, the club in my eyes are playing in one if not two divisions below where they should be so my ambition is to get them back there and keep sort of trying to produce as much as I can try and bring as many youngsters through as I can and um, we had eight uh, 16 year olds make the debuts last year and we want to try and keep doing that giving the local lads opportunities um, and I think We've got our own targets right the way through the club. Um, attendances, we doubled them last year. We want to add more onto that this year. We want to up our community side of it. Um, and then obviously long term, similar to what I've just said there, I've, I walked through the gates as a as a young lad at 16 at Gretna and I was lucky enough to play in the Scottish Cup final in European competitions. Um, I'm maybe not so much young now in age, but I'm young in the management game and I want to look forward to seeing how high up the ladder I can go. Look, if this is the highest I can go, then Fine, I'll, I'll accept that, but I'll work hard and see how, see how high up I can go and see how much success I can bring to um, clubs moving forward. Brilliant. Um, just finally, to, to wrap up, I always like to look at your career as a, a sort of a whole. So the podcast is called the, the Full-Time Whistle Podcast. So when the, when the Full-Time Whistle went on your career, how, how would you look back? Are, are you proud of your achievements and how do you want to be remembered? I was... Very proud. I was. Uh, I look at it, and I always say that I was blessed um, because, for me, I'm a young. I was a young farmer's lad from a very small village, and to go against the likes of Modric, Messi's, all these types of players through my career, I've been very, very lucky and very blessed. And I, I don't take anything for granted. I would like to be remembered for someone who, no matter what club I was at, I gave my all for that club. Um, that was something that I tried. Pride myself on is the fact that Dimao, whether it was Carlisle United, who was my hometown team, Hearts, who was obviously a big connection to me, or a St. Mary Dunfermline, or whoever I played for, that I always wore my heart on my sleeve and I would run for a brick wall for any club. And that's how I'd like to be remembered um, as the player, and maybe even some of the fluky goals that I scored as well. Danny Topman, mate, thanks very much for coming on. I really enjoyed that. No problem at all, anytime, Paul. Well, thank you very much for listening. Some very interesting stuff from Danny there, which I really hope you enjoyed. Be sure to check out Workington's Twitter page for links to the Stay Home Record initiative, which myself and Danny touched on throughout the episode. 
The club will be shown their most famous match against the iconic Busby Babes to try and raise some much needed funds during these difficult times. As always, if you enjoyed, please subscribe, leave a review and share the podcast around with friends and family to help spread the word. Also, be sure to give the podcast a follow on Twitter at the FT Whistle Pod so you can keep up to date with guest announcements and new episodes. Thanks very much again and all the best. Cheers.